science classes 14 years ago and I can still remember the, the feeling. Like, <laughs> That's what causes all these migraines. How thick are the glasses? How, how, how thick are your... Uh, well, like these are the. Gonna, I'll show them to the camera. These are the, uh, the ultra thin lenses, the thinnest I can get. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. Wow. That's pretty good. You're, that's, uh, you're editing all of our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I put them on for a second and almost just lost it. Like, <laughs> like I was disoriented for the next eight hours. <laughs> I bet it feels like like you're on acid when you put this on. Uh, it's like. Oh. <laughs> okay, you, you're, you get used to it. <laughs> so everything but, you know, when I take them off, everything's just like a big Gaussian blur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, I'm going to hit the button. Does anyone need to use the bathroom before? No, Dad, we're fine. Yeah, that. Are we there yet? <laughs> it's going to be a long trip. Oh, before we get... We get there. <laughs> the broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. And for and once, I gave you a warning. And yes, that's why only mode. And that's why you never uh, pat an elephant's butt while riding a bicycle. Mm-hmm. That was a really great story. That was probably yeah. my favorite. That's exactly. That is exactly why. Yeah. Never I'll never tell that again. I almost said that like once. Mm. And I decided not to. We'll, we'll never talk about that story. Yeah, let's, let's agree to never talk about this again. Yeah, yeah. Why are we still talking about it? <laughs> My bad. Because <laughs> we're just messing with our 32 attendees. Right. Right. <laughs> Me too. Hey, guys. Thanks for showing up early. Mm-hmm. And that's and all we got. We're, we're done. All right. And we're out. <laughs> <laughs> there was a good show, everybody. It was good. It was really good. Our post show banter. It was fantastic. (laughs) John from Secure West Virginia is here. Is he great? Oh, he is. John from Secure West Virginia is here. He's here. He changes name. Man, I hope he doesn't end the webinar for all. (laughs) Is this John's from Secure West Virginia? Or is this John from Secure West Virginia? John Moore. John Moore. John Moore. Okay. So the story is. Is when I was adding people to today's event, I just typed in John, John Strand, and like I normally do, like Deb, Marcello, Heather, Ryan, you know, John. And then all of a sudden, I, I see that this John Moore guy accepted the invitation. I was like, who, who invited? So you're like, who invited John Moore? So you like, didn't I, invite the boss, is what you're telling me. I didn't invite the boss, and I even it wasn't like I was accusing anyone. It was more like an investigation of like, hey, did someone add this person? Are we doing something here? Did I, you know, did I miss something? And then I realized it was me. I, did. <laughs> I was the one. So, John, we can't hear you. Yeah, because I hear you, but, but it's super, super low. We just have to increase your mic volume like a lot. And we can't do that. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> if, I know it's going to be difficult, but if you could yell, <laughs> yell into yeah. the microphone. Or if you want, you can click a link that I send you and I can increase your microphone. But <laughs> we got Betty Crocker is coming in with Voltron. So we had this Voltron reference on the news because we're doing the news now twice a week. We will oh. be doing the news today. We'll talk about that a little bit during pre-show banter. But John mentioned Voltron. And then I asked John, which 
Voltron character did he want to be growing up? And I will ask this question to everyone on our panel. Mm. Out of all the Voltron characters, which one did you want to be? Including everyone who's listening right now, let us know in the Discord uh, channel. Did you want to be the left leg, (laughs) the right leg, the left arm, the right arm, or the head? That's a a difficult I'm going to go with the right arm. That's pretty good because I feel like that gets hit a lot less than the than like the torso. That's or the, the one head. that does a lot of the hitting. If yeah, right yeah. You get, you get a yeah. lot more action. You get a lot more action, and you get hit a lot less. So, I like Marcello's approach to this. Which one re- will receive the most damage? Yeah, exactly. I, I hadn't thought about that before. Like because he has I, a battle bot. Yeah, so like you get hit in the torso probably a lot. The head probably. I definitely don't want to be the head. Like screw the head. Like I don't. I don't. I don't want that. And it's interesting because most people want to be the head because that's the leader, but you're like, yeah. no, that's no, that's no, what no. everyone's coming for. No, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't want that. I mean, no, that's 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 horrible. That's yeah, you don't want that, especially because you're in charge of like the power up stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. So, like you do not get the timing down on that because it takes you like 20 minutes to power up because you have to announce it every single time. Like <laughs> the announcing part of the, the intro and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That takes like 20 minutes. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Spiel too much pressure. No. Yeah. So, so do you want to guess, do you want to guess which one John chose? <laughs> the head. <laughs> of course. Oh, my. Uh, oh well, well, you know, I mean, my opinion, I guess. Uh, it's like, of course, I want to be the head. He wants to be the left leg. Which appendage would you like to be? Voltron appendage. Who are you asking? Uh, Heather. Heather, yes. She's like, I don't want to turn my mic on. <laughs> Is, is there a tail on Voltron? Is there a tail on Voltron? <laughs> okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. <laughs> so, John, you're from Secure West Virginia. Please tell us uh, that's next week. Yes, what is plan? What are you all doing? What exactly so, uh, do you secure? <laughs> at, at nothing. Having everything all at the same time, right? No, so Secure West Virginia is a, a West Virginia-based cybersecurity conference. I guess we start on Monday next week with Black Hills Information Security doing training all week. And then on Friday, we have a conference. We're we're super excited to have John Strand as our keynote. And after that, we have uh, 30 speakers and two evening sessions, which will stream over Twitch. So um, that'll include an interview with Rob Rob Lee of Dragos. Okay. Super exciting. We tried to make the best of 2020 because it, it really kind of killed our momentum from an in-person conference because we love our in-person conference because, you know, I'm from West Virginia. Everybody leaves West Virginia to go other places to get jobs. And then they come home for Thanksgiving. So they come to our conference. So oh. we're going to miss that this year. Yeah. Oh, we, where, we enjoy where in West there. Virginia, John, when you have the physical one, where are you guys? We're in Charleston at the uh, Charleston Civic Center and Coliseum. So it's a giant facility, which we hope to grow into. Home of the Charleston Chew. No. I have no idea. That's Charleston, South Carolina. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm wrong. 
Yeah. I'm okay wow. to be wrong. Hopefully that makes it in the uh, banter. Denied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, I usually have to explain to people out west that West Virginia is a state. I think it's part of Virginia. Does I have everyone... a... I'm sorry? No, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I have a, a hoodie that's Best Virginia. So that's what I start calling it now. It's Best Virginia. Oh, yeah. Like the Best Coast instead of the West that's Coast. That's right. Nice. Nice. So uh, yeah, when you enter the border of West Virginia, are you required to sing the song? Come, like, take me home. Take me home. Oh, yeah. Are you like, sure. there's, a whole, there's a whole piece of the state that will not acknowledge that song. That will not. Oh, wow. Yeah, they wear green and white. They're called Marshall University. They don't, they don't participate. They don't acknowledge this. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I mean, I imagine people would get sick of hearing that song. Like, if you live there. Like, okay, I can see that. Like, we have other things. Like, we have yeah. other things. <laughs> let people have their hey, that is a great song, so... That is a good song. Unfortunately, he wasn't real good at geography because most of those things aren't in West Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. In Western Virginia. But whatever. I mean, we'll we'll go with it. That's amazing. I never actually looked that up. That's I feel Blue Ridge is in Virginia proper, I think. That is correct. (laughs) The Shenandoah Mountains. Not in West Virginia. Also Virginia. That is true. That is yeah. yeah. I think he maybe went West Virginia, not West Virginia. He didn't yeah. know it was a state either, I'm pretty sure. But, <laughs> but the people like their stereotypes of West Virginia, you know, no teeth, no shoes, all those things. Who said yeah, that? That wasn't me. Yeah. No, <laughs> not you. You're from Maryland, if I recall correctly. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Meth, Maryland. Meth Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> Maryland. <laughs> we got that Colorado, uh, though. I mean, Boulder is like full of people with no shoes and like mm. no teeth. And, yeah. yeah it's, mm. I don't do them. I'll let them have them. The, I'll let them the have frontiersmen? Them. The frontiers people? Yeah, frontiers people. Yeah, the descendants of the Pike Peak settlers. Isn't Colorado <laughs> Springs known mainly for its meth? Isn't like that's that's I, its thing. I think that's all the way down to Pueblo, actually, Marcello. Oh, okay. I thought you get back on drugs again. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, did this in the funny. first episode, though. Yeah. yeah We're just continuing the theme. There Bring it yeah. back. Yeah, we can't have a pretty little Python secrets episode without talking about no, regional need, drug habits. Correct. Yeah, you need a couple of drugs. I mean, that's what but that's what Python packaging does to you. It makes you want to try meth. That's that's what it that's what it does. That's meth never once unless you're trying to package a Python application. Then yeah, maybe that's at the ends of the slides. That's yeah, yeah, that's at the end. Yeah. Is it helpful? Yeah, it's the TLDR. It's a pro so, tip. So much to your, your point there just a, a moment ago, Secure West Virginia has actually started to provide that introductory cybersecurity training to people looking to get into this field. We're in our 11th year. This year, we'll have about 31 speakers, including John Strand as our keynote. It is November 6th and 7th. We start at... Uh, 9 a.m. Eastern, and we'll go until about 5 p.m. Eastern for um, for the talks. And then we have a couple of evening programs, including uh, an interview with Rob Lee from Dragos, hosted by Neil Bridges, former SANS instructor. And there's a theme there. There's a lot of SANS instructors that have been through our, our conference over time. Um, we're really proud of, of, of all the people who have actually come in and spent their time with us. Um, this year, we're looking at Doing it like you did on Wild West Hacking Fest, uh, or Way West Hacking Fest, I guess it was, back in March when all the pandemic first hit. So really appreciate uh, Black Hills being involved and, and all of the support Jason and Deb and crew have provided us. It's been awesome. 
John, thanks so much for being here. Even though it was an Absolutely. accident, I really appreciate you accepting and coming on today and, and talking with us. Absolutely. Next time you accidentally invite me, I'll, I'll accidentally show up again. <laughs> Absolutely. Every time I accidentally invite you instead of John Strand, please come. Thank you. For sure. All right. You might, you you might have to give the presentation, but... Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. You ready, Marcella? I think so. Yeah. I got, I drank a lot of tea, so I'm, I'm a little over-caffeinated, so that's always a good start. And uh, right. yeah, we can, we can get started. You got a whole hour before you can use the restroom again. So perfect. Awesome. This is the, uh, I'll make it, I'll make it. I swear. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. It is one o'clock Eastern time here today. Thank you so much for joining us on this Black Hills information security webcast. We got Marcello with us today is going to talk about Python and it is episode two. So if you haven't seen episode one, it is available on YouTube. You can always go back and check out episode one. And the, the comment Marcello I got after your first episode was, Oh my gosh, I wish I would have known this like six months ago, or I wish I would have known this like two years ago. Like, this is, you just saved me so much time. Yeah. And yeah. I have a feeling you're going to do the same thing today. So, well, for everyone joining us, thank you for being here. If you ever need a pen test or information security services, you know where to find us at Black Hills. All right, Michelle, it's all yours. Awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks for joining everybody. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, the first one of these episodes was useful. It seems like it was. Uh, that's definitely a compilation of stuff that I'd, wish I knew when I first started developing in Python. If you missed that, you can go check the recording and the slides and the video and, and uh, Jason and Deb will link those to you, but they're all available publicly on YouTube. So we're sort of going to be building off a little bit of episode one, just because of some of the concepts that we're going to be using. But we're, what we're mainly going to be focusing it here today is how to actually package a Python application. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because it's not exactly straightforward. It's gotten a lot more straightforward for a number of reasons over the past the uh, two years or so with the new versions of Python and like the, them, the, the Python organization, people flushing out the documentation and stuff, but it's still not as straightforward as you'd expect. And there's also a lot of shortcuts and pro tips that I'd like to share just because I've been coding in Python at this point for a very long time. And it took me a while to figure out how to actually get all this stuff working and all the shortcuts and all the, all of the pro tips in this is to a place where I feel comfortable actually talking about this. So, here you go. So this is we're going to be talking about Python packaging, how to make it as simple as a haiku. Uh, it's a pun because we're using a tool called we're going to be using a tool called poetry in this uh, in this presentation. So hopefully, you know, you can it's cute, makes sense. Uh, and also just flat out, if you haven't played Ghost of Tsushima yet on uh, PlayStation, totally recommend. That's where that screenshot came from. Best game ever. Ten out of ten. Totally would recommend it. Episode. So this is episode two. We're going to be talking about uh, packaging, going from packaging hell to Evan. Why should I even package a Python app in the first place? Which, you know, is a question, especially as like a non-developer infosec professional who maybe writes some scripts and stuff. Why should I go out of my way to actually package my script that I wrote in a way where I can upload it to the Python package repository? We're going to be talking about that in a second. And because it's a, it's a lot more work, like it's one thing to, to actually like just write a few couple scripts and, you know, push them to GitHub. It's a lot more work to actually package it correctly uh, because you need to make sure you got the folder structure down and stuff. So we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about how to actually pipe, uh, package a Python application and the project structure. So I'm going to be telling you how to actually do that. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to upload your Python app to the Python package repository, which is PyPy. And there are a lot of 
gotchas both security wise and uh just workflow wise when it comes to that so we're going to be talking about that as well uh using setup tools and why it's evil you should never use setup tools to upload your package to pipi we'll be talking about that in a second you should probably be using twine if you decide to use twine at all managing dependencies so we're going to be talking about that very quickly i'm going to be doing some demos along the way so hopefully that helps sort of wrapping your head around these concepts as well we're going to be talking about the old school, bare bones, only using Python tools way, which is very, very tedious versus using something like pipenv versus something using like poetry. So we're going to be talking about the three different ways and you'll see like the benefits of all three. And then we're going to be talking about how to actually make your life easier and less painful and automate everything that we're going to be talking about, basically using poetry and this other project called Cookie Cutter, which allows you to basically create project templates and just reuse keep reusing that project template for all of your Python uh, applications once you actually have a project template done that which you're happy with. So we're just going to get right started. So as a security professional, as an InfoSec professional, not as like a professional Python developer, why should I package my script or Python application or whatever you're building? Well, just really straightforward. It's because it makes it easier on the end user <laughs> that's, that's actually going to be using your script. You, if you package your if you package your Python application, it'll be available on the Python package repository. And if your user, if the user wants to use your tool that you package, it, all they have to do is literally pip three install my awesome tool. That's it. That that's all they have to do. Now we as we talked about on Pretty Low Python Secrets episode one, you, you're probably going to be wanting to be using pipx for this because you want to isolate dependencies. So probably going to want to be using pipx. To install that and i definitely recommend looking at the episode one of this to actually get get like why you should know pipx and if you don't package your python application what happens is you have to do all of that stuff which is git clone my awesome tool from github you need to see into the directory you need to pip install the requirements that txt if it even has requirements that txt because sometimes we don't you know as as hackers and infosec professionals, we don't exactly follow, you know, developer perspective, best practices. So sometimes it's not even, there's not even requirements that TXT file. So you need to look at the source code and figure out like, okay, the, I need to import this, this, and this, and this, and I need to install all those manually. You need to then pip install the package. And then you say a little prayer to, uh, I don't know, Cthulhu or whoever you believe in to, to actually get this installed. So hopefully, you know, you might get it working after all that. Along with a bunch of other reasons, like I could be here for probably like another 20 minutes detailing all the other reasons, talking about like beat, like wheels and why, like if your Python script has C extensions, like why you should probably definitely package it and package it up. So there's a bunch of other reasons. So like you would, I would definitely recommend packaging your Python application, uh, even if you're not a Python developer and you're just making like little one-off scripts, I definitely recommend. And we'll talk about how to automate the whole full structure setup and stuff uh, in, a, in a while. So um, if you actually Google how to actually properly pi- uh, package a Python application, you're probably going to, the, the first few links that you'll see is the official documentation from python.org. Another link, which is sort of not the official documentation, but has sort of been there for years. I, I'm not exactly sure. It's, it's not hosted on the official it's it's still the official doc. It's like Python.org, but it's hosted on Read the Docs as opposed to the official Python.org website. I don't know what it is, but it's been there for years, and it's what I've per, I've personally read the first time I tried to actually 
a package of Python application a long, long time ago. So it's been there for years. So it's like somewhat the unofficial official guide to packaging Python stuff. But you'll find that if you actually read that documentation, it's not exactly straightforward. I mean, I mean, it is straightforward, but let me rephrase that. It is straightforward, but it isn't practical. Like they don't give practical examples, especially because they don't actually tell you like how to actually expose command line tools. Like if you're building a command line tools, which is 99% of the use case of of a Python script or application, you're going to want to expose command line tools to the user when they pip install your package, because otherwise it's kind of useless, right? So they don't give you a practical example on that, on the official documentation, which is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. But so you're going to have to, there's a lot, there's some Googling, you know, involved and it's not exactly straightforward. So really quickly, in order to actually Python a package application, you need to nail down this, a folder structure. There's a specific folder structure that you need. Specifically, uh, say you're trying to package a Hello World application, okay? It's just a little stupid script that just prints Hello World, okay? What you're going to have to do is create a, a root directory, which will, be called the, which will be the name of your project. Then inside that root directory, you're going to want another folder with the name of your package. So in this specific case, our package is called Hello World. So inside the, the, the main root folder, you're going to have another folder called Hello World, okay? Which is gonna, which is gonna hope, which is gonna, where you're gonna put all of your application code in. So this is the folder where all of your Python code goes into. Okay, and you're gonna want your undunder uh, init.py, which is basically just uh, an empty file that's literally just called dunder init.py, which tells Python that this is a folder that contains Python code. Okay, if you do not put that dunder init file, uh, dunder by the way, for those of you not familiar with Python in general uh, is what we call anything with two underscores. So we sort of shorten it in the Python world to dunder because we hate saying underscore, underscore, init, underscore, underscore all the time. So we, we call it dunder init. Okay, so dunder init.py. This file actually tells Python that, hey, this is the folder where you, you actually have Python code in. Okay. Then usually, like if you are really going out and you're feeling super fancy, you're feeling super fancy like the Drake song, like you get like that tests folder in there. That folder will have uh, all of your unit tests in, which we're not going to be getting into today. But as a, like, if you're trying to be like professional about things, like you could totally put some unit tests in there. Why not? Then you're going to want your dot get ignore file. Dot get ignore file is basically a way of basically a way of telling Git to not check in specific files in source in version control. Okay. So in Python specifically, you're going to want to ignore all PyYC files, which are compiled bytecode files, which you don't want to upload that to Git. Then you're going to want to put those in your Git ignore. You want your license. If you want a license, you know, you can use the unlicensed, which works too. You read me to tell people, you know, what the hell this thing actually is. And then requirements.txt, which holds all of your dependencies, right? And set up that py file, which is what actually tells Python how to actually package your application with like specific information. Okay, and and I'll show you this in a second. So, like I said, like these are all I have references for all these files in the slides, but there's a lot of stuff. Okay, and this is not even getting into like this folder structure right here doesn't even have the manifest.int. The manifest.int tells the Python that I want to include these files, but they're not source code. They're just data files. So it could be like a database 
which I don't know, maybe like a JSON file or anything that's not code. And I want to include that in my package. I'm going to specify that in a manifest.in file with a specific syntax. So there's a lot of stuff here. And, and for someone who has never coded in Python before, can definitely, or, or maybe has never packaged a Python application before, could be pretty daunting. So this is a reference, like, so you got your license file, your readme file, which I talked about. Requirements.txt is just the, the, um, the uh, file which holds all of your Python dependencies, like I said. Manifest.in file, which has a specific syntax. And your setup.py file, which is basically just a function that tells Python how to actually, where all this information goes, okay? So let's take a look at that, like, in practice, because uh, it can be a little confusing, okay? So... I have here a Hello World app. This is the same Hello World application, right? And this is the traditional way of packaging. So this is the traditional way of packaging. And you see that I have a folder here with my license. I got my manifest.in file. Let's take a look at the manifest.in file for a second. You'll see that it, it has these include statements. This basically tells Python, hey, I want you to package... I want you to package with uh, this Python package. Also, the readme.md, which is a non-code file. This doesn't have any code, but I want you to include it in the package anyway. And I want you to include the license. Okay? Pretty simple. It's a pretty simple syntax, but it's still another file. Makes things a little bit more confusing. Okay? This is your setup.py file. Okay? So your setup.py file is basically, most of the time, going to be comprised of just one function. It's this one Python function that literally tells setup tools, which is the thing that packages your Python app, okay? What the name of the package is, so the name, the version, the author, the author email, the description, long description, yada, 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 the URL, and the classifiers, and then uh, the entry point, okay? So this is, the, this is sort of the thing that the, the, uh, the documentation, the official documentation doesn't really mention that much, uh, so this is how you actually expose your command line tool to your user. So say our hello world, uh, our hello world application has a command line tool that you want to give to the user. You can expose that command line tool using that entry point. Okay, so and say our command line tool has this main function in it. So I have this console.py file in my hello world application, right? And this is the this is going to be the function that has all of the logic that starts up my command line tool. Okay, how do I actually expose this to the user so that when they pip install my package, they have that command line tool available in their app in their path, so they can just literally type in their prompt "hello world" and it'll work. Okay, well you need to go to your setup.py file and you need to specify this entry point argument. Okay. And you need to give it this console, you need to give it this dictionary, which has as the key, the console scripts. It's, it's pretty, it's not straightforward. Console scripts, and then you give it the, as you give it this part over here, which is basically the name of the command line script that you're going to expose. So basically this part before the equal sign, okay, is going to be the name that the user is going to actually type in order to invoke your command line script, okay? And then you're going to give it the path to the, entry the, the main function of your command line script, okay? So in this case, we have a package called hello world, okay? Because this is our hello world folder. Our entry point function is in the console.py 
file. So we're going to do hello world.console and then we're going to do colon main. Okay. Because that colon tells setup tools that I want the entry point for this script to be the main function within the console file in the hello world package. Okay. Not straightforward at all, but the resort, the, the resort, the result is that you can literally do Python setup.py. If I can type, let's see if I can type this morning. No. Okay. Let's I Oh, because you know, it helps if I can uh, actually see the directory Python setup.py and install. And that will just install it. And you'll have, I won't do it right now because I didn't set up a virtual environment, which we'll get to in a second, but that'll just install the package and you're good to go. You'll have hello world available on your command line. Okay. Now, you, this uh, specific Hello World application also has a dependency, which is requests, okay? And you're going to have to put that in your requirement.txt file, okay? And we'll talk about how to actually do that in a second in the traditional way of doing things and versus the modern approach of doing things, okay? So that is the traditional way and the uh, bare bones, no third-party tools needed to actually set up your Python application in a way where it can be packaged and uploaded to the Python package repository. Okay. So let's go back to the slides here. So I, I showed you the setup.py file, but this is an example of how complicated this stuff can get. This is the setup function of Impacket. Okay. Impacket is a good example of this. So Impacket exposes a number of packages and it exposes a bunch of scripts, all of the example scripts and it does this via the uh, scripts argument, okay, as opposed to the console entry point argument. So there's a bunch of stuff here. This is a bunch of stuff, but it, it can get pretty complex, and it's not exactly nice to read. The manifest.in file, like I said, it, it, you, you put all of the stuff that you want packaged in your Python application that is in code, so your license, your change log, whatever you want that is in code, you use the manifest.in file. And then you use the entry point argument to actually expose your command line scripts. And yes, CJ, do we have questions? We do have a few. <clears throat> so Tyler asked several questions. They seemed okay. Um, so is the pat packaging specific to PYPI, or can we package and store internally in Git or Artifactory? So the so it's it's universal. So the the, the you use the same format for packaging for PyPy, but you can also, for the Python package repository, but you can also use the same format if you host your own Python package repository internally, like as a developing shop and stuff. So yeah, you can, you can, it's the same format. It, you just have to specify, and we'll talk about that in a second. You just have to give the application that actually uploads your package, a URL to your Python package repository. If you, if you have an internal one. And then Will you discuss unit tests in the future? Do you have a blog web post for that? Uh, I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't aware. I mean, I wasn't going to do a unit test one, but to be honest, that, that might be a good idea. It's definitely, yeah, yeah I'll, we'll send the survey out and see how many people are interested in it. And then what IDE, what IDE are you using? Uh, this is Visual Studio Code. So this is Visual Studio Code for Mac. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, so we use the entry point and that exposes your hello world or application to the command line. Okay. Okay. So you did all that. You went through the effort, you set up the folder structure, you got your setup.py manifest.py license, uh, all the other stuff, right? 
uh, how do you actually upload the dang thing to pipe to the Python package repository? Well, if you were to Google this, or if you were to read a lot of Stack Overflow posts or a uh, some of the old unofficial official documentation, they will tell you that this is the way to do it. You Python set up that py that register with your credentials, okay, and that connects to the Python package repository by the the normal standard Python package repository and logs in, registers you so you can actually upload uh, your app, right? And then you type the Python 3, set up that pi, s this, b this will. We're not going to get into what those are because it's a whole separate topic. Upload, and that uploads your app to the Python package repository. Now, the problem is this is not secure at all. The problem is setup tools, which is the underlying Python package that actually uploads the your Python package, doesn't verify HTTPS connections and will gladly fall back to HTTP if your system is isn't configured properly, your OpenSSL library is bort. Like it, there's a number of variables in play here. If you if it, this actually uses HTTPS, and in my experience, it doesn't even warn you if it's falling back to HTTP. So the consequence is you might be sending your uh, Python package repository credentials in clear text over the network, or you might be uploading your Python package in clear text over the network, which means anyone can just like man in the middle you and tamper with it, okay, and backdoor it or whatever you want, and then send it up to PyPy, and then you'll have a lot of angry users on your hands, okay? So do not ever do this. Do not ever use these commands to actually upload Python packages to PyPy. Do not ever do this. Even if document takes, even this documentation says it, do not ever use setup.py to upload stuff. You go to security jail, bonk, you know, that's, that's not, that's not good. So what you need is Twine. So Twine is a third party application that actually does verify HTTPS connections and actually makes things all secure and nice for you. But the problem is, is a third-party application does not come with Python by default, which still blows my mind to this day. But you have to pip install Twine, and then you, it's available as a Python module, and then you do py, Python 3 Twine upload, and, and it just uploads it to PyPy. This does verify HTTPS connections. If something's wrong, it'll warn you. So this is the same secure way of uploading stuff to PyPy. Does Twine stand for anything? That's actually a good question. I have no clue. It's a weird name. I never really looked into it. That's a very good question. I, someone knows, let me know, because that's, I've actually never looked into that. So you're probably wondering by now, wow, Marcello, that's a fire hose of information, and that's a lot of freaking stuff to just go through the effort of packaging my application so people can pip and pre-install uh, my app, my app, right? Yeah, I agree. And uh, there's also a lot of issues with this entire process because. First off, you have to install Twine manually, which is just kangaroo court, in my opinion. How do I keep my dependencies specified in requirements.txt in sync with the ones defined in my setup.py file? So if you go back to your setup.py file, you'll see that uh, there's a install requires argument there. Okay, So that install requires argument tells Python that, hey, before installing this application, you need to install these dependencies. Okay. Now the problem is there's also a requirements.txt file, which is where you're supposed to put your dependencies. So you need to basically keep this list of dependencies in your setup.py file always in sync with your requirements.txt file. 
Is there a way of doing that? No, there isn't. And that is by design because requirements at txt file by, let me go back to the slide here. The requirements at txt file is supposed to contain all of your dependencies, even development dependencies. Okay. So that is by design it's supposed to have all of your dependencies, even the ones needed for development. Okay. The setup.py file is supposed to have only the dependencies needed to actually run the application for the user. But the problem is, this is a major pain because I don't want to keep having, if I change something and if I install more dependencies, I, I, don't, I really don't want to keep two files in sync with the same stuff in it. Okay, It's just a major pain. People have some crazy weird hacks in order to work around this. Some read the requirement that txt file on runtime and put it into that argument. It's horrible, though, and I would not recommend doing that because it's technically not meant for that. Okay. So there's a bunch of problems with this from a workflow perspective that is just absolutely bonkers. And then there's the question of, okay, how do I even manage the dependencies in the first place? That's a good question. We'll be talking about that in a second. And how do I actually go about setting up a development environment in the first place? Okay. So that, those are very good questions. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And by second, like literally the second. So the, the question that arises is, okay, so I package my Python application and stuff. But like, let's, let's go back here for a second. Like, how do I actually set up a development environment in the first place? Well, as we talked about in episode one of this, first thing right off the bat you need to do, set up a virtual env, okay? If you don't know what a virtual env is, go back to episode one. I explain it in detail there. It's basically a way, it's just these environment variables and path hacks so that Python installs dependencies in an isolated part of the operating system as opposed to messing up everything, okay? That's really bare bones way of explaining it. So how do you go about creating a virtual env manually? This, this piece of code right here, you create your, you create your main root folder for your Python development, for your Python project, right? And then you invoke the VM module, okay? Which is only available in newer versions of Python 3, by the way. If you're running anything less than 3.4, I believe, or 3.5, you have to download a third party tool in order to actually create these things in the first place. And then you need to source the uh, activate script inside the virtual M file. And then you'll be able to pip install your requirements and everything will be good to go. Okay. So I'm going to do that here in a second. I actually haven't done this in years. So this is going to, this is going to be interesting. So I have my hello world, the hard way, right? So this is the traditional way of doing things. I'm using only built-in Python tools to actually package and develop on this Python application. Okay. So I'm going to use the VM module. And I'm going to tell it, I want to create this virtual environment in a hidden folder in the same directory. So I'm just going to do hello world hard way. Okay. And what that is going to do is that you'll see now there's a hidden directory in here, which has a bunch of stuff in it. And this is the virtual environment. Okay. So this is where Python is now going to install all my dependencies once it's activated. So it's nicely isolated. Okay. And then what I do is I have to source dot hello world the hard way, which is where my virtual environment is, bin activate. Okay. And you'll see my prompt changes. My prompt changes, it has this little thing prepended to it. And what that means is now I'm now I'm in the virtual environment. So if I pip install requests, right? It will only it'll install requests in this virtual environment and not in the system site packages and potentially mess all my Python environment up. 
Yeah, that's a good point. You also need to remember to add this hidden directory to dot, the dot kit ignore file because otherwise it'll be uploaded to source control, which you don't want. Okay. So that's another, that's another good point. And then what I can do is now I can run Python setup.py install and that'll actually install my hello world application. And I now have on my command line available the hello world cli app, right? So if I type hello world, it just prints hello world. So this is now my Python application. I've packaged it. I ran it. It's now running in my development environment. But I, there's one more thing I have to do because if I cut out the requirements.txt file, which is where your all your dependencies are supposed to be, you'll see that it's empty. And I have to add my dependencies to this requirement.txt file. So the way to manually do this is using this command called pip freeze. Okay, so pip freeze lists out, and this is another reason why you need a virtual environment. Pip freeze lists out all of the packages you installed in your in your environment. Okay, so this is everything that I have installed in this virtual environment. These are all the sub dependencies and dependencies of requests. Okay, so if I wanted to uh, put, I need to put these in my requirements.txt file. So the way to do that is just pip freeze, and then you just output that to requirements.txt. Okay, so now my requirements.txt file has all my dependencies. This is a problem. The problem, the first problem is these dependencies aren't hashed. So what that means is that if someone tampers with these, you will download the tamper ones because they're not, there's no hashes specified in these requirements.txt files. There's only pinned versions. So from a security perspective, this sucks. Okay. Is there a way of getting the hashes? Yes, there is. Is there a built-in way of getting the hashes? No, there is not yet again. Okay. So you have to install a third-party thing that actually hashes all the dependencies for you. So puts them in there and you're guaranteed to get the same ones so that you don't download backdoor dependencies or anything like that, potentially backdoor dependencies. Okay. So this kind of sucks. First off, setting all that typing for every single Python project, I would just, you know, yeet myself off a bridge, first off. Second of all, switching to the virtual environment is a major pain in general. There are shell extensions that automatically do switch you, but it's still not, it, it, it's, it, it's still a pain. You have to remember pip freeze requirements that, that command every single time you change every single dependency. Plus, managing the requirements.txt file itself is very problematic for a number of reasons. There's a link in the slide here that gives you a bunch of reasons why it's problematic. But it, it basically come, boils down to updating things and also the fact that it doesn't hash your dependencies automatically. So from a security perspective, this sucks. Okay? There's my suck meter again. When I put that in there, you know it sucks. That It's very high in the suck meter. This sucks. So... Kenneth Reitz, which is a uh, somewhat famous slash notorious Python developer in the community, has developed something called pipenv. Okay, so pipenv is basically was essentially made to solve all of these problems, and it does. It does solve most of these. Uh, the problem is it also introduces others, which we'll get to in a second. So. Pipenv manages virtual environments for you. So it does, it automates creating that stuff. You don't need to pip VM stuff all the time. It's everything is taken care of. It's abstracted. So you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to manage your requirements.txt file anymore. 
because it uses a separate file called pip file, which it so it abstracts it out using this pip file. It also manages to hash all of your dependencies in your requirements.txt file because it manages it for you so that uh, you don't have so you don't have to so from a security perspective it's better. So it basically solves a lot of issues. Okay. So just to give you an idea of how much faster the development workflow is with pipenv, and I really should not like hit my microphone because that probably doesn't sound that good for you guys. I'm, I have another oh not there. I have another folder here called hello world pipenv. No, not that. Hold on. Ah, uh, and I there you go. And I closed out my thing. Okay, so let's open this up. Let's put this over here. Demo fail, but it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. PLPS2. Okay. And I need to make that big. Perfect. Big mode activated. Hello world. Pipenv. Okay. So this is the same project. Okay. The same code, same everything. Only that we're using pipenv to manage our virtual environments, to manage our dependencies and everything. So it literally comes down to pipenv install, and that's it. Okay, so what you'll have here is a virtual environment set up for you. And the reason why you get this output is because I already have a pip file in here. But if you usually you do pipenv install, uh, not requirements, sorry, requests. All of these R's are entangling. So it's installing requests for you. So now after you install requests, it will create a virtual environment. It will create a pip file. So this is the, this is the folder that I'm in right now, right? Uh, you'll see it's the same folder structure. It's got the setup.py. It's got the requirements.txt, but there's two other files now. So we added two more files to our ever listing list, uh, to our ever growing list of files. Okay. And this is what a pip file looks like. It's basically, it's much easier to read. Okay. And it's got all of our packages defined here. And if you look at the pip file, that lock file, you'll see that all of our uh, requirements, all of our dependencies are hashed. Okay, and if you want to generate a requirements.txt file, all you do is pipenv lock-r, and then you pipe that out to requirements.txt. And now if we look at our requirements.txt, you'll see that all it's it automatically generates everything for you. Okay, so this is a sane, secure way of doing things. If I want to actually run my Python application now, I need to type pipenv shell which drops me in to the virtual environment it created, okay? And then I can install my application, so set up the pi install. You can actually, there's a shortcut for this. You can actually do pip3 install dot, which automatically grabs this, it notices there's a setup.py file in there, installs the package for you, and hello world, and my, my thing isn't going down for some reason, so we'll try that again. Yeah, hello world, okay, there you go. So. That automates a lot of stuff, okay? That, that automates a lot of things. It makes things a whole lot easier. Now, the problem here, at least from my perspective, okay, is that while it does solve a lot of, like 90, 90% of the issues that I would have with, in terms of workflow rise, you've now added two more additional files to your ever-growing list of things in the root folder of your Python application that you need in order to package this thing up. Okay. Also, 
PipEnv isn't exactly fast when it comes to installing dependencies. Okay. If you have, if you depend on a package that has a lot of sub dependencies, it takes a long time to actually install those things for you. Okay. And another thing, it, you still have to use Twine to upload the thing to PyPy. Okay. So it doesn't, this, the PipEnv is only made to manage your dependencies. That's all. It's not made to automate anything related to actually uploading your thing to PyPy in the first place. Okay. Also, fun fact, if you uninstall dependencies with pipenv, it doesn't uninstall them for you. It just removes them from the pip file, but it actually doesn't uninstall the requirement, there's a dependency in your environment, which incredibly enough, like you'd, you'd think that would do it, but it doesn't. And it causes a lot of frustration sometimes because you're wondering, why doesn't this work? And then, oh yeah, because they don't uninstall it. Okay. And it also has a decent amount of bugs, which have never been fixed, at least last time I tried it when it comes to dependency resolution in general, like if you try to install requirements with a specific, if you try to install like a package with a specific version, sometimes it'll just fail because to you know? So, I mean, it's a, just to give you an idea, I mean, this is what the crap. So crack Mac is crack map exec, which is a, a tool that I wrote basically has, this is the root folder of the crack map exec project in order to actually package it and put it in PyPy. Okay. Look at this. This is ridiculous. It's got a gazillion files. It's got, it's got a license, got a manifest, got a pip file, pip file that lock. This is what it looked like up until I switched over to poetry, which we'll talk about in a second. It's got a huge amount of stuff and keeping all of this stuff in sync is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. So thankfully there's an alternative to this madness, which handles literally everything for you. Okay. And I mean, everything poetry. Okay. The TLD, if you take one thing away from this, is for, in the name of Cthulhu, just use poetry for your development, Python development, because it literally simplifies things to an extent where it's just amazing, okay? It does everything PipM does only 100 times better, okay? It condenses everything down to a single file. So there's no more setup.py. There's also a setup.config file, which I didn't even get into, but there's also that, which that we won't even get into because fun fact up until a few years ago, PyPy didn't actually support markdown. So what that means is that you needed two separate readmes, one in restructured text format and one in markdown format, which was absolutely kangaroo court. I'm not even getting into that. No more manifest, no more pip file, no more pip file, no more, not even requirements.txt. You don't even need a requirements.txt file anymore if you need, if you want to. Okay. So it condenses everything, all of those things down to, to a single file called pyproject.toml, okay? That's, that, that's literally everything. On top of that, it also manages uploading the dang thing to PyPy, okay? So literally one tool for everything. That's it. And as a bonus, dependency resolution is very sane. It works most of the time, and it's much faster. It's like 100 times faster than Pipenv, okay? So this is an example of a pyproject.toml file, which we'll get to after CJ gives me some questions. Just real quick, this popped across Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, have you tried using Docker to simplify your Python development dependencies? Yeah, yeah, I have. But I mean, I'm not even getting into that because that's a whole, that's literally a workshop or slash another webinar because that's a whole different topic. But yeah. So is this, you feel like this is a almost an easier shortcut? It, I mean... 
it's not, I wouldn't say it's a shortcut. I would say it's just a different use case. Like it, it, it Docker is mainly meant for other developers. It's not mm-hmm. really meant for the end user. Uh, the end user sort of uses Python packages. I don't think they would use Docker, at least in my mind. Awesome. So it's, it's a different use case. Awesome. But yes, no, Docker is definitely a, a way of making this things a thousand times easier. And I highly recommend it because it's literally changed my life ever since I'm using it. But you, you're still going to want to package this up because um, end users don't necessarily know how to use Docker and all of its command line syntax and stuff. So this is probably makes things easier for them. So this is what a pyproject.toml file looks like. Okay. And if we go back to, uh, this is, so this is the pyproject.toml of uh, the witness me tool that I wrote, which is just like a, a HTTP web inventory tool. But you can see that everything is here. Like literally everything that we talked about is in one single file no more gazillion different files that I have to manage. One single file. So if we go back to our Hello World uh, application here, okay, and I close everything out just to make things less confusing. Don't save, go away, go away. Okay. So we, we looked at Hello World the hard way, which sucks. We looked at Hello World PipM, which is much better, but still sucks. But now we look at Hello World that poetry. Okay, first off, Let's just compare. Let's compare and contrast, shall we? Like, hello world poetry. Let's take a look at the folder structure. Oh, hello. There's only two freaking files. That's it. Let's take a look at hello world pipenv. Oh my God. What the hell is all this stuff, right? So, I mean, so first off, there's like two files that you have to manage instead of like 10, right? And if we take a look at the actual file, you'll see that everything that those other files do are in here. So you have our include and exclude statements, which is what the manifest.in file used to do. This is where you put all of your non-code stuff that you want to package. You got the name of your package, which is what was in the setup.py file. You got your homepage and repository, which is also was in your setup.py file. You got your classifiers, which makes things easier to find on PyPy, but you don't necessarily need this. You got the name of your package, okay? And then you have your scripts section, which tells Poetry that I want to expose command line scripts to the user's path when they install it, okay? And it's in the same format as setup.fi. So it, it, it literally condenses every single thing down to one file, okay? And it makes things easier to manage. And you got your dependencies here, and you got your dev dependencies, which we won't get into, but these are other dependencies that you need for development, okay? So let's exit out of here. And let's go to uh, hello world.poetry. Again, like if you compare the folder structure between hello world.poetry versus hello world.pipm, it's much less stuff. And I have no clue why. Oh, because my window is super freaking long for some reason. One second. There you go. So look at this. Like it's. Two files, right? As opposed to this mess. I mean, it's just it's just so much nicer. It just just use poetry, really. So hello world poetry. We go in here. How do I actually set this up? Poetry install. It creates a virtual environment for you. It installs your dependencies. It installs your project. And you're literally good to go. That's it. Installing requests, installing Hello World, which is our application. Okay. How do I actually run this? You poetry shell. 
which automatically puts you into the virtual environment and then hello world. That's it. Done. Like nothing else. If you want to add a, if you want to add a, a dependency, poetry add, and then I don't know, cryptography. I like cryptography for some, for some reason. I've been using it in all my examples. Cryptography. There you go. And you see that in our requirements that in our in our pyproject.toml file, rather, it adds that dependency. And that's all you really need. Also, bonus points, and this is something that I don't think I discovered by accident. I didn't even read this anywhere, but apparently newer versions of PIP actually support the pyproject.toml file. So what that means is that you, you notice that in this folder structure, there's no setup.py file, right? PIP, newer versions of PIP actually can parse poetry's pyproject.toml file and install the package for you without a setup.py file. So if you just do pip3 install dot, it'll just install the package for you, which is amazing. So you, you technically, like if you just get clone the source code of a project that's using poetry as dependency management, you don't need to even need to install poetry. You can just use pip, okay? And on top of that, if you notice, there's also a poetry.lock file, okay? And the lock file should have all of the hashes for every dependency. So it's secure as well, okay? So literally, this manages everything for you. So you're probably asking yourself, okay, how do I upload this to PyPy? Literally, poetry, publish, okay? And I'm not going to do this because I haven't registered. I'm not going to upload a Hello World thing. But you literally just type poetry publish, and you're good to go. It'll ask you for your credentials for Python package repository. It verifies HTTPS connection, does everything. This tool does everything for you, okay? And you can also specify a repository. Like if, you're, if you have an internal Python package repository, yeah, that's right. That's, that's the right name for it. I have an internal Python package repository. You can actually specify that URL so that it just sends it to the internal one as opposed to PyPy. Okay. So this literally handles everything for you. TLDR, again, if you take one thing away from this, is that you should use poetry. You really should. I don't think you really need to use anything else, to be honest. It's, it's like a gazillion times better. Okay. Now, we talked about dependency management. Really quickly, let's talk about automating the entire process of of actually creating this folder structure okay because the thing is if you if you were to if you were to create multiple python applications if you're if you're like constantly creating python applications what's going to happen is that you're going to find yourself creating the same folder structure over and over again okay so how you actually go about automating setting up this entire folder structure. Well, there's this amazing project called Cookie Cutter. Okay, uh, let me see if I can open uh, this in Firefox real quick. It loads Firefox. Ah, oh, there you go. Okay, so Cookie Cutter. Yeah, and that's because I have to turn this off. There you go. Let's try that. So. If you go to GitHub, there's this awesome project, a good cookie cutter. And what this essentially does is it you, you can create templates 
that you can for projects that you can reuse on other projects. So what I did is if you go to my GitHub profile, you'll see that there is a repository called uh what is it? It is Python Cookie. And in this Python cookie, this is a cookie cutter project template, which basically sets up this entire folder structure for you, okay? To an extent where you just literally have to type cookie cutter and then the name of this repository, Python cookie, and you'll have this entire folder structure set up for you automatically. So you got your pyproject.toml file, which will have all of your stuff in it that you need dependencies and stuff. It automatically sets up the script entry point for you so that you already have that in your pyproject.toml file. You're probably gonna have to modify that for the application name and stuff, but it sets it up for you automatically. You got your folder in here, which has uh, your entry point and stuff. So it's, it's a bare bones template for a Python application that's ready to get uploaded to PyPy. Okay. So now, Say I wanted to, let's exit out of the virtual environment, right? Say I wanted to create a, uh, start a new fresh Python project using this template. All I do is go to the URL, take the URL, give it to cookie cutter. It'll download the GitHub repository. It'll ask you a few questions like the repository name. So say I want this called uh, uh, BHIS demo, right? This is my app name. BHIS demo again, Python version. And you'll see that in my folder, I now have a BHIS demo folder, right? And if I LS inside of there, I'll have everything I need. It's ready to go. I got my pyproject.toml file. If you, if you cat that out, you'll notice that it has the script entry point set up all ready to go for you. And that's it. Done. Like you've automated just like the cookie, the, the templating of every single Python package so that you can upload it to PyPy and have this all automated for you so you don't have to keep recreating the same folder structure. Okay. Yes. Marcella may be highlighting. Taylor asked, does poetry create your folder structure? Why use cookie cutter over poetry? So, no, poetry does not create your folder structure. There is a poetry init command that asks you a bunch of questions and that generates a bare bones pyproject.toml file, but it doesn't create your folder structure. It doesn't create the folder structure necessary to actually package it up and put it on PyPy. So that's why you need cookie cutter. Cool. And then um, Tyler's got a lot of good questions. Can we publish the application such that the user doesn't need to poetry shell? So, so Bailey, yes. you want yeah. the user to have a dollar path. Yeah, no. So, you, so that, that's why you need, you need, yes. So the end result is that the end user is going to just be doing pip3 install and then whatever the name of your Python package is. So that, that's the end user. So even, even if you use poetry, they'll be able to do that and they'll download that package from the Python repository and they'll be ready to go. However, and again, go back to episode one, we talked about how using pip for this for end users isn't exactly a good idea. You should probably be using pipx so that you isolate those dependencies. Awesome, thanks. 
So let me see. We got like what ten more minutes actually. So I guess I can start answering some of these questions. Let me see. Looks like ZSH has an extension for highlighting the commands as their type. Yes, correct. So oh my ZSH is the setup that I use here. And that has a plugin which does syntax highlighting for the commands that you type. Yes. What else? Let's see. Any tips on getting your package noticed and used by as many projects users as possible? I mean, that that really comes down to like SEOing, right? Do you even SEO, brah? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess you can, but like, what would I recommend? I don't know. I think it, it comes down to your comes down to a lot of factors. To be honest, like. It comes down to the use case. It comes down of, the, of your tool in the first place. It comes down to uh, how much you actually push it out, like how much you, you know, marketing, right? And I guess and no other better way of putting this, like how much, how much you put it out on the Twitter sphere and the LinkedIn sphere. Like it, it, let's put it this way. Like if you want your, your stuff used, you need to do a lot of work to actually make it, like make make it known to the community if that makes sense. You got to find that community, find that niche. Yeah, correct. So like yeah. the question becomes, what platform reaches these people, and then how do you get their attention? Yeah, and that really, and that again heavily depends on your community. So like if you're um, if you're a red teamer, like Twitter is still sort of the place to be. LinkedIn is starting to get a lot more popular outside of red teaming and stuff for like pen testing that's those are the two worlds i live in so that's basically all i know i'm not even i'm not even on linkedin so i can't even like put stuff on linkedin if i wanted to like it, so it really comes down to the platform that your community uses i know like this like python developers use discord a lot so like the discord python channel would probably be a good place so it really comes down to a lot of things to be honest tyler had another one says does poetry support the hashing mentioned in the previous use case? Yeah, correct. So, yeah, yeah, it does. So if you take a look at the poetry.lock file, you'll see that all of the dependencies are hashed. So it does that, all that for you. And, and it won't install stuff that doesn't match the hash, So, which is good, which is very good. And you want that. I have a trivial question for you. Mm-hmm. What font are you using for the command line? What? Sorry. What? What font are you using for the command line? Um, <laughs> no idea. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? It's uh, hold on. I think it's called Terminus. Term. Ter- uh, one second. Let me see if I can figure this out for you. Rabbit hole. Yeah. So preferences. I think it's like this Terminus font that I really like. Hold on. Uh, window terminal. Advanced. It's a Mac thing. You wouldn't understand. Call it, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where to even do that. I have to. There's a lot of settings here. To be honest, I'd have to look. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure. Text. Yeah, there it is. Terminus nerd font. Name nerd program. font. Nerd font. So appropriate. Yeah. yeah, it is very appropriate. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, terminus nerd font mono. If you're a nerd, if you're a if you're a font nerd guy and uh, or gal, and you want to know the font, yeah, that's that's what the that's what the name of the font is. We've got an incongruity identified as well. Um, they want to know why you're doing a Python webcast with a gopher behind you. Oh, uh, right? 
that's that's my girlfriend's and my girlfriend is a go person <laughs> that's why she likes putting it there just to annoy me like sort of just you know make it make it known <laughs> How long have you been using Python? Oh man, I think like over like over ten years now at this point. Jeez. Yeah, started real young. Uh, I remember when Python was on version one. Oh jeez, <laughs> that's a long time ago. Hey Marcello, can you talk about your porchetta industries? Would this be a good time to? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. So you can bring it up on the screen too, like the Discord or whatever you want. So this is actually, I mean, this is going to kick off. There's going to be a really super announcement real soon once I get the blog post ready and stuff. But essentially, oh, maybe not that channel. That channel isn't a good example of this. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, what I'm trying to do here is create a community that supports. In specifically, infosec and hacking tool developers. Okay, that, that's that's the the main thing I'm trying to do here. And the reason for this is multiple reasons. One, I don't think it the the amount of time that is necessary to develop these projects, open source projects, is absolutely astounding. And I don't think a lot of companies specifically companies specifically realize how much time and effort gets put into some of these projects in uh, people's off time because that's when that's when most most of this development happens okay and the problem is that there are huge companies using some of these tools that don't really give anything back okay that's that that really sort of bothered that really sort of grinds my gears so how do you go about incentivizing these big companies or just you know pen test shops that use these tools to add or you know blue team even blue team tools like uh i have a few from i'm not gonna mention names just because i'm not sure if they're comfortable but i know for a fact there are a lot of people in the blue team community that have put out stuff that literally is used by every single person on like every single major organization on the planet not a single piece of code has been contributed back or not, no, uh, no thanks or monetary wise were given. And meanwhile, like literally every single organization is using their stuff. Okay, so it doesn't really matter what side of the infosec color you you decide to be on: red team, indigo, blue, whatever, blue, purple, whatever the new one is. Like it, this is sort of a pervasive problem. Okay, so I've started this because we need to start and we need to have a culture shift in the way we think about this. It's, I don't think it's okay for companies to use other people's open source tools uh, and stuff that they do for free in their trainings, in their uh, day-to-day commercial use cases or whatever without giving something back. Okay, So there re- we really need a way of incentivizing a behavior where this is sustainable because as of right now, this isn't sustainable. John coined this term where there's this huge leech culture. And I think that's 100% that's the best term I've heard about this, where there's this leech culture where we just use this stuff on our day-to-day basis without giving anything back in terms of, especially when it comes to individuals, like making this stuff, right? Uh, if it's a company putting out this stuff, you know, maybe, but individuals specifically, that's, that's where the problem is. So Porqueta Industries is a community where we try to actually, well, we're going to try, we're trying to at least getting to a point where we can support other people 
into creating their own GitHub sponsorships, which is basically a Patreon for GitHub, and give them a voice so that they actually get some decent income when it comes to that, so mon- some monetary benefits when it comes to this, to actually repay their awesome work, okay? So that, that's what, because not a lot of people in the, in the InfoSec industry know, are on Twitter or on LinkedIn, have a, vo- have a voice where they can like put this stuff out and people you know, have a lot of followers somewhere so they can put this stuff out. So we need to provide them that. We, so we provide them that voice and we give them some, again, I'm using this term, but mar- it really does come down to marketing when it comes to this, really. I mean, there's no other better way of putting this where we put their stuff out so that people can sponsor them and actually get some benefit, uh, like, you know, helpful benefits. So you can maybe, you know, bring your kids to Disneyland every couple, you know, <laughs> or something, or, you know, something for putting, uh, putting all of these, all of these, you know, hours and effort into doing this stuff with, you know, some benefit out of it. You know, I mean, while, while the talks and cons that you get invited to are great, I personally think like, you know, putting some extra food on the table is probably a better uh, use case. Sounds a lot like capitalism, Marcello. It it does, a little bit, or rather meritocracy. I would probably, I would like to say meritocracy, really. (laughs) That's the best kind of capitalism. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) exactly. So that's that's the idea. And there's some big announcement coming up uh, because I actually have uh, a a pretty big name in the industry that's going to give me training vouchers and stuff for pull requests so we can incentivize people in the community to actually make pull requests to specific projects. We're going to be giving, uh, we're going to be doing donor drives, we have a merch shop and stuff. There's a lot of stuff coming up, which will be exciting when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. That sounds like you're, what you're doing is creating the marketplace. It reminds me of just like iTunes, right? When, yeah. when people could do a 99 cent app. And people are like, well, 99 cents is no big deal, but it is when 100,000 people are using your stuff. Correct. Um, and I would like to say, I mean, the idea, maybe not like the, maybe like, like a, a store, but I would, I would definitely like to see this as like, almost like the Apache foundation for mm, InfoSec hacking mm, tool developers. That's yeah. where I'm going with this. I like, there's needs to be some, because it's such a weird niche that these tools are in a niche that it's it, like it, only the infosec industry uses so i don't think like there needs to be some kind of foundation that supports these people that yes. that's what i'm aiming this. that community right and then you say how do we support each other that's awesome yeah yeah correct yeah exactly all right marcella that is our time for today cj thanks so much for helping everyone on the back end thank you so much for helping i think bb was here others deb uh just rattling off all the links so when the recording goes up uh Ryan will do the best he can to catalog those links inside the description. So that way, if you want to revisit anything, uh, give us about eight days first to be up. And if you're watching the recording right now, hey, how meta is that? All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next Black Hills Information Security webcast. Hopefully part three at some point early 2021, I guess, because we're already full for the rest of the year. Marcella, thanks. Any final words, Marcella? Hack the planet. Nice party shot. Yes. All right, everyone. If you ever need any information security consulting work, you know where to find us. And with that, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Ending. Bye. Bye. Ending the webinar. Ending the webinar. <laughs>